Scripture reading for today is Joshua 5, 13 through 15. Joshua 5, 13 through 15. When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, No, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. This is the word of the Lord. Well, like many of you here, I've been blessed to walk with the Lord for quite a few years. And like many of you, during those years, the Lord has been pleased to teach me some valuable and indelible lessons along the way. And most of those lessons that the Lord has taught me have been the result of his faithful and loving discipline and patience with me. And I have not always been the most teachable disciple. And yet, the Lord has been gracious and kind and long-suffering. So I have, over the years, actually learned a few things. I have learned that prayer changes things. Amen. I have learned that forgiveness makes a difference. That being forgiven and forgiving makes a difference. I have learned that God is good all the time. Despite what it looks like, the Lord is good. And I have learned that the church is a blessing. Regardless of what others say about it, regardless of what you may have experienced at any moment of time, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is blessed. And she is a blessing. I've learned these things over the years and God has graciously taught me these and many, many more lessons. And every day I am becoming more and more convinced of these truths as he confirms them in my life over and over again. And yet, beloved, there is a lesson that the Lord has been hard-pressed to teach me and I have been even harder in learning. It is a principle that is given throughout the scriptures 
and one that the Lord lovingly disciplines me infrequently, and yet I still struggle to accept. And that is this, that the battle is not mine, but the Lord's. The battle is the Lord's. And I want you to hear me say that this morning. Because I believe that if we would just, if we could, if you would allow me, I'd just stop the sermon right there. So that you would leave here with the understanding that whatever you are going through, the battle is not yours. It's the Lord's. It's a truth. This is a truth. That the Lord has not only been teaching me all the years that I've been walking with him, but is what he teaches his people over and over again. And the reason he has to teach it to us over and over again is because we are hard learners in this regard. If there is one thing that I frequently have to chastise myself for and examine my own heart over, it is seeking to fight my own battles. And by the silence in the congregation this morning, I am quite confident that I am not alone. From family to finances, from children to church, from headaches to heartaches, we all have the tendency to believe that we have the answers. We all have the tendency to believe that we can fix the situation if we just can somehow finagle our way to getting enough money to speak in the right words or if we just had a little more time. And yet God wants his people to remember indeed let us recall this morning what he said to King Jehoshaphat on the eve of their war with the Moabites and the Ammonites in 2 Corinthians, 2 Chronicles chapter 20, in verse 15. The battle is not yours but the Lord's.
Now this is a lesson, beloved. This is a lesson that we don't just learn one time. But we have to be disciplined, we have to be taught, we have to be instructed in this over and over again because we are prone to forget. David understood this. He understood that the battle was the Lord's. As a young man, as he was preparing to go out and fight Goliath, in 1 Samuel chapter 17 and verse 47, David declared that the battle was not his. The battle was the Lord's. And yet, he forgot this in his older days. When, as an older man, against the Lord's command, he numbered, he counted, he took a census of his fighting men, forgetting that the battle was not his, but the Lord's. Even on the night that the Bible tells us that our Lord was arrested, when the soldiers came to arrest Jesus as he was with his disciples, the Bible says that Peter took up the sword and drew his sword against those who came to arrest Jesus. And Jesus told Peter, Peter, put away your sword. Why? Because the battle is not yours. It's the Lord. What our text reminds us again this morning. It's another example of our Lord teaching us. When many of us were children, some of us probably sang the song, Joshua fought the battle of Jericho. Joshua fought the battle of Jericho. Joshua fought the battle of Jericho, and what? And the walls came tumbling down. Well, actually, Joshua didn't fight the battle of Jericho. The Lord did, beloved. And this is what he began to instruct Joshua as Joshua was planning. That's what you could probably say. Joshua planned to fight the battle of Jericho. Joshua planned to fight the battle of Jericho. And as Joshua was planning to fight the battle of Jericho, the Lord God comes to him and says, Joshua, the battle is not yours. It's the Lord's. As we have seen in previous weeks of our study of, of Joshua, the time for taking full possession of the land had come. That long and winding road from Egypt through the many years in the wilderness and finally into Canaan was now complete. And how do we know 
that the journey had been complete? Well, because as we saw last thing, last time, there were two important things that happened. The first one was circumcision. And the circumcision occurred so that God could show them that he had rolled away the reproach of Egypt. Egypt was done. But not only had circumcision occurred, but also the Passover. The Passover. They had partaken of the Lord's feast. So that the Bible says that they would no longer eat manna. Because manna belonged in the wilderness. Manna was food in the desert. But now they were going into the promised land and they would no longer eat manna, but now they would eat from the fruit of the land. The journey was over. No more Egypt. No more manna. Now they would eat from the fruit of the land. The land that had promised to their fathers Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the land that was flowing as they described it with milk and honey. Apparently, as we come to our text in verse 13, a little time has passed, perhaps, because it seems like the men are healed. However long it took to do that, the men were healed and the nation was fed and it was time. So what seems to be happening here is Joshua appears to have taken some time to go and scout out Jericho. He was eyeing the terrain, no doubt, as a proper military commander would do. And no doubt he was thinking about where he would position his men, how they were going to overcome these mighty walls, wondering, no doubt, how the inhabitants of Jericho would respond and how they would defend themselves. I believe he was probably wondering about his own soldiers a little bit. These had not been fighting men. These were not well-trained soldiers. Israel was not a veteran army, beloved. They had not been trained under fire. And surely, surely Joshua, as he looked out upon the terrain and the imposing figure that were the walls of Jericho. Surely he wondered if the men in his charge would shrink back once the arrows and slings began to fly. There was naturally a little trepidation in his heart. No wonder the Lord had to tell him over and over again, be strong, be courageous. Joshua's looking at that wall. 
He's not going to back down. Joshua was preparing to fight. He was looking out at Jericho. And beloved, as he was looking at Jericho and all these things contemplating in his mind, what does God do at that very moment? God reminded Joshua what he would remind you and me this morning. Whatever you are thinking about, whatever your eyes are on that you think in your life is insurmountable, whatever is causing you trepidation in your heart, the battle is not yours. It's the Lord's. It's the Lord's. And while Joshua was looking at Jericho and the imposing figure that Jericho is, God comes up and says, Joshua, you need to be looking at me. Look at me. I'm here. I'm here. God showed up, beloved, right there as Joshua was planning and he was eyeing the terrain and planning the battle. God showed up. He said, Take your eyes off of Jericho and you look to me. Look to me. God showed up and he revealed to Joshua what Joshua needed to hear. He showed Joshua what Joshua needed to see before the fight. And what did Joshua see? The Bible says that Joshua looked up and suddenly he saw a man. He saw a man. And not just any man, but he saw a man standing in the place of God. Joshua, the commander of Israel, met the supreme commander of, the God, of God's army. Now listen, beloved. Listen. Listen. Okay? There are commanders, and then there is the supreme commander. There are kings, and then there is the king of kings. There are shepherds, but then there is the great shepherd. And Joshua, who considered and thought himself the commander of the army, run smack dab in to the supreme commander. And it changed everything. Joshua out there on that battlefield 
met God himself. And there, God would teach him three things, beloved, that he is teaching us this morning about God fighting for his people. First thing he wants to teach him is that when it comes to fight, listen, listen, listen. When it comes to fight, the Lord is ready. Okay? The Lord is ready. When it's time to fight, the Lord is going to be clear. And when it's time to fight, the Lord is in control. The battle is the Lord's because the Lord is ready. Verse 13, the Bible says, chapter 5, when Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and he looked and behold, a man was standing before him with his sword drawn in his hand. You know, I'm reminded of, beloved, that when the Lord shows up, he comes ready and equipped to meet your needs. Now listen, 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 listen. Joshua is preparing to go into battle against a formidable enemy. And when God shows up, beloved, he doesn't show up as a doctor. If Joshua needed a doctor, the Lord would have come as a doctor. He didn't show up in doctor guard. If Joshua needed a lawyer, the Lord would have showed up as a lawyer. But Joshua didn't need a lawyer. Joshua needed soldiers. And the Lord showed up as a soldier with sword drawn. That's what he does, beloved. That's what he does. He comes to his people at their moment of need, and he shows up as and with just what you need. That's what he does. When it's time, he comes, and he comes as you need him to come. And he knows knows. So look, he comes suddenly. It's a sudden appearance, wasn't it? Joshua was out there, all of a sudden he looked up and there he is. He looked up and he saw him as if out of nowhere. You know why this is important to understand? It's because, beloved, God knows what time it is. He knows what time it is. And he knows when to make himself known. He comes at the right time. And when he does, he changes everything. He comes at the right time. So, 
oftentimes is sudden. That's what Abraham, in Genesis chapter 18 and verse 1, the Bible says that man just suddenly appeared. Changed everything. And this is, this is true over and over and over again, beloved. In Daniel in chapter 3, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego are in the fiery furnace. Suddenly he shows up. Just at the moment of need. Changes everything. Often was this true with our Lord Jesus Christ. He tells his disciples in Mark chapter 4 they're going to get in the boat and they're going to go to the other side. And Jesus, since he done told them what they're going to do, goes down into the bottom of the boat and takes a nap. A strong, much needed nap. And as the storms begin to rage, and the disciples become fearful, wondering what is going to happen. They go and they wake up their master. And Jesus suddenly, like he had never showed up before, calmed the storm with a word. And the disciples said, just like I'm sure Joshua said, what manner of man is this? And even the wind and the waves heed his call. Can you imagine? Joshua suddenly saw this man appear with his sword drawn. I'm sure the first thing that went through his head was, what manner of soldier is this? Beloved, the Lord is going to show. And you, you, you can make your plans and you can get all your ducks in a, in a, in a row, but the Lord is going to show. He's going to show. He, he may seem delayed. He may seem, even in your own estimation, he may seem distracted. But just when you need him most, he's always there. He's going to show. He's going to show. And when he comes, beloved, often it is a sudden appearance. But it is not just a sudden appearance, but when the Lord does show, it is a sobering experience. When he really comes, it is a sobering experience. Because Joshua here didn't just see a man standing in his way. He saw a man with his sword drawn. Not in the sheath. He saw a man with the sword out. He saw a man ready and willing to strike. Reminds us, doesn't it, that the Lord didn't come to talk. He came 
to do battle. The Lord doesn't come to negotiate. But when it's time to go to war, the sword is out. The sword is out. And when the Lord, over and over again, when the Lord comes with the sword out, beloved, you can believe that justice is coming. It is a sobering reminder that the Lord is not toying. He is not playing. But when the sword is drawn, justice is coming. David understood this. First Chronicles chapter 21, verse 16, after his sin, an angel of the Lord comes, and the Bible says that the sword was drawn, the sword was in his hand. He had drawn that sword because God doesn't play with knives. He wasn't playing. Judgment was coming. Divine judgment was on the horizon. And when the Lord showed up here on the battlefield just before Jericho, he showed up ready to fight on behalf of his people. He comes, he said before, as his people needed him, need him to come, because the Lord is ever ready. And he doesn't call for assistance, beloved. The Lord is never on vacation. You know, most of you probably don't know it. Some of you do. But tomorrow I go on vacation. You call me, it's going to voicemail. And you better leave a message. You email me, you're going to get a kickback. Because I'm on vacation. The Lord isn't on vacation, beloved. The Lord never goes on vacation. The Lord is ever ready. When it's time to fight, he is always there with what you need when you need it. The Lord is ready. But not only is he ready, the Lord makes himself clear. He makes himself clear. Verses 13 and 14. When Joshua went out to him, he went out to the man, this man out there with sword drawn. And Joshua went up to him and asked, Are you for us or for our enemies? Are you for us or for our adversaries? And he replied, neither. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Beloved, God doesn't choose to be on the winning side. He is the winning side. 
doesn't show up and decide who's going to win and then get on their side. Joshua wanted to know whose side this man, this soldier, this, this figure here out on the battlefield, whose side was he on? And the soldier said, let me be clear. I didn't come to take sides. He said, but I came to take over, to take control. Now, beloved, I like Joshua's question. I like Joshua's question because it reminds us of a very important principle, that there is no neutrality in the kingdom of God. There is no neutrality in the kingdom of God. There is no happy middle. Joshua seemed to understand this. So he goes up to this figure out here and he says, are you with them or are you with us? Because out here is either them or us. I like Joshua's question. Runs contrary to our, our times today. You know, we, we, we like the happy middle. See, in our world, we have Democrats and we have Republicans. And if you're not happy with either one of those, then you call yourself an independent. We have conservatives and we have liberals. And if you're not happy with either one of those, then you get in the middle and call yourself a moderate. Somewhere in between. And, beloved, that's fine. That's fine when it comes into the world of politics, but when it comes to the kingdom of God, when it comes to following Christ, there is no happy middle. Jesus said, right, Matthew chapter 12 and verse 30, says, whoever is not with me is against me. Whoever does not gather with me scatters. Now, beloved, life is filled. Life is filled with, with gray areas. I get it. I get it. Life is filled with gray areas. And many of the issues that we discuss and seek to understand today are not simple as black and white. And we often, we often struggle to make sense of our world and the many gray areas that we have to navigate. But when it comes to the question of who is in charge, there is no doubt. When it comes to who will be sovereign, there can be no question. When it comes to who will win, let there be no doubt. God never shows up to lose. Never shows up to lose, beloved. Because he doesn't choose the winning side. He is the winning side. Deuteronomy chapter 20 and verse 4. That's what he tells his people. The Lord your God is the one who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to give you victory. 
He doesn't choose the winning side. He is the winning side. That's why we can say with the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 57, right? But thanks be to God who does what? Who gives us the victory. Who gives us the victory. Who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ, beloved. And the victory comes not because God shows up on your side. Yes, yes, he is on your side, but only because you are on his. This is the point. Because everybody, everybody likes to think that God is on their side. Everybody wants to suggest that God's right is their right against everybody else's wrong. Joshua, therefore, asked the right question. And the Lord gave an even more right answer. Man, whose side are you on? And the Lord says, I'm on my side. I'm on my side. We like to choose sides. This is the American way of doing things. We like to choose sides. Every issue, every issue, we got to choose a side. Every theological point, we got to choose a side. Every social and political and cultural discussion, we have to choose sides. Beloved, I want to suggest to you this morning, whether you realize it or not, that God is always bigger than you think he is. He's always bigger than you think he is. He's always bigger than just your side. He's always bigger than just your point. question is not if God is on my side. The question rather is, is am I on his? And most of the time we just want God to join us. This is Joshua out there recruiting God. Come to our side then. Come to our side. We just want God to join our side and when what by wanting God to join our side, all we're asking God to do is to bless our mess. That's what we do. I got my agenda. I got my way of thinking. I got my way of doing things. Lord, bless it. God doesn't join our team. We have to join his, beloved. He doesn't join our army. We join his. And if Israel is going to win the battle of Jericho, beloved, it would not be because of Joshua and his army, but because of the Lord and his. It's always because of the Lord.
It's always because of the Lord. Whenever you overcome any, beloved, anything, it's always because of the Lord. I don't care how many plans you have. I don't care how much or how long a scheme you've implemented. If you overcome, it is because of the Lord. Always, always. Psalm 34 and verse 7. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him. And what does he do? He delivers them. He delivers them. He delivers them. So there's another little song we used to sing. You know? And I think it's really appropriate. We used to sing, whose side are you leaning on? I'm leaning on the Lord's side. So whose side are you leaning on? I'm leaning on the Lord's side. I'm leaning, 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 leaning on the Lord's side. The Lord said to Joshua, let me be clear. I'm on my side. And that is the only winning side. So he reminded Joshua an important principle that he would remind us of this morning. And that is, beloved, that when the Lord Jesus comes into your life, he doesn't come to be a participant in your life, but he comes to take charge. This is what it means to be a follower of Christ. This is what it means to trust and boast in the cross. Not that Christ comes and participates, but Christ comes and takes control. And this is what Joshua learned. That the commander of the Lord's army, the commander of the Lord's host, didn't come to participate with them in this battle. He came to take charge of this battle. He didn't come to follow Joshua's commands. He came to lay down the commands. And so we see, lastly, that the Lord is in control, beloved. The battle is not yours. It's the Lord's. And how and why is this important? Because do you understand that? Do you understand that the Lord is in control? When Joshua heard the commander of the Lord's army speak with that sword drawn, the Bible says, verse 14, Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, what does my Lord say to his servant? He who was the commander of Israel is suddenly knocked down to the rank of a servant because he is in the presence of the supreme commander. He who was about to lay out the plans for the taking of Jericho looks at the commander and says, what are your plans? 
And the commander said to him, Joshua, here's my plan. You take off your sandals. The ground, the place where you are standing is holy. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? You know what the Bible says? It seems like an afterthought, a little, little, little sub-note there. You know what the Bible says after that, Pastor Phil? What does it say? And Joshua did it. You better believe he did it. You better believe he did it, beloved. This is the point. This is the point of the text this morning. I mean, this here is the central message. The Spirit of God is saying to the church this morning. When the Bible says that the battle is not yours, it is the Lord's. What it means is that the Lord is in control. He's got it. He's got it. And beloved, when you acknowledge that, when you truly acknowledge that the Lord is in control, when you really submit to his authority, you know what happens? Worship, sister. You got it. Worship. That's when worship really happens. I don't know if you have ever, and I, you know what? I, I bet that most of you haven't. I'll say that. I bet most of us haven't ever really turned anything over to the Lord. I mean, really gave it to him. I mean, in the past year or so, the Lord has really challenged me in that area to give it over, Tony. Let him have it. And beloved, as it is leaving your hands, it weakens your knees. And you can't help but worship him. Have you really ever, ever, I mean really, not just for the day. You get in church on Sunday and you pray and say, Lord, I'm going to get that to you. And as soon as you get home, you take it up again. And as soon as you get home, you're trying to figure it out again. I mean, turn it over to the Lord. And let him work it out. And somebody asks you about it, you say, huh, I gave that over to the Lord. He's going to work that out. Yeah, but no, 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 no. I gave that over to the Lord. Hallelujah. He's got to work that out, beloved. When you truly give it over to him, you say, Lord, you're in control, beloved. That's when worship takes off. That's when worship takes off because you realize I can't do anything but lift my hands and give praise to him, thanking him, worshiping him. You know what worship is? Worship is obeisance. That's what it is. It's obeisance. Notice, notice here. Notice here the, the deferential respect and acknowledgement of God 
that, showed, that, that Joshua shows here. If Joshua didn't realize it before, he knew it now. Who it was was standing in front of him. If he didn't know it before, he knew it then. For the Bible says, he fell down at his feet and worshipped. This is what happens. This is what happens when you, when you really come to see who Jesus is. I mean, really, really come, really come. It's, it's, it's Peter again in Luke chapter 5, in verse 8. Once he realized who was really in control on that boat, Jesus says, I mean, Peter says, Lord, depart from me, for I am a sinful man. And he fell at the knees of Jesus. This is what happens, right? In Acts chapter 9 and verse 4 to the apostle Paul as he was saw and the Lord struck him and he fell to the ground. The Bible says, while on the ground he heard the Lord say, Saul, Saul. What happens, beloved, when you truly come to see him, ask the Apostle John out on the Isle of Patmos, Revelation 1 and 17, when he saw the visions of the glorious, risen, glorified Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible says he fell to his knees in worship. At his feet. Joshua realized. Joshua realized. That he was not just in the presence of a man. But he was in the presence of the man. The God man himself. Joshua realized. That he was in the presence of the king of kings. The lord of lords. The commander of commanders. When you realize, you realize that, beloved? When you realize that you are not in control, that's when real worship begins. Now, most of you know that I fancy myself a reformed preacher. I love reformed theology. The bane of Reformed theology is that even while we study, we study because we think to some degree we are in control. This is why people accuse Reformed people of not worshiping with any enthusiasm. Because we have to maintain control. And we know it with our heads. But we control it getting to our hearts. And 
Now I can say that because I'm informed. No Arminian better, better not say that. We're going to have a problem, Phil, because he don't know what he's talking about. But the fact of the matter is, beloved, I have learned and am learning that even as I study and seek to understand the bigness of God and the sovereignty of God, then that should lead me to understand that I have less control. And with less control, then that should empower my worship, strengthen my worship, and even from time to time, excite my worship. Because he is in control. He is in control. That's when real worship began. Worship is not just obeisance here, but here we see too that worship is submission, right? Notice, notice, it's not just the posture. It's not just that, that Joshua fell to his knees. But notice it's also his words where he says on his knees, what does my Lord say to his servant? So he realized at that point it was not Joshua who was going to be telling the Lord, but it was the Lord, it was Joshua waiting to hear what the Lord has to say. I am the potter. You are the clay, beloved. I am the potter. You are the clay. Mold me and shape me in your divine ways. Here, beloved, here, now Joshua is being guaranteed the victory. That's when the victory comes. That's when the victory comes. When you let the Lord fight the battle. That's when the victory comes. When you let his will be done. That's where the victory is guaranteed. Once Joshua admitted not to being in control, he won. He won. He won. For the victory comes. The victory comes in the surrender. That's when the victory comes. And that is the most difficult thing for us. We need the victory to come as I continue to work my magic. No, the victory comes when you surrender. Surrender to the Lord. And the victory is guaranteed, beloved. Resign yourself to God and you win. That's what our Lord Jesus did, right? In Luke chapter 22 and verse 42, as the battle that he was experiencing is the most intense that it had ever been. And what did Jesus say? He prayed to the Father and he said, not my will, not my will, your will be done. Hope you, I, hope, I hope you can imagine this morning. I hope you sense the, the joy, the hope, and the peace. And even, in some sense, the relief. When Joshua was reassured, it's not on him. That's, that's, that's what the Lord does, beloved. 
That's what he wants to do for us this morning. Take that weight off of you. Put it on him. When you say, Lord, not my will, your will be done. Resign yourself to him. Resign. Give it over. Whatever it is. And the joy and the peace and the comfort that comes from leaving it with the Lord. When you do that, right before you get up, right after you leave it with him, right before you get up, ask him one question. Right? Okay, Lord, now that I've given it over to you, what do you want me to do? I've given it over to you. You got it. What do you want me to do, Lord? And you know what he's going to say? Take off your shoes. That's all I ask. That's all I ask. That's all I ask. You take off your shoes. Acknowledge that I am God. Acknowledge that I am holy. Acknowledge that you are in my presence and acknowledge that I am the one worthy of your worship. That's all I ask. That's all God ever asks his people. That's all he ever asks is that you would acknowledge him. That's what it says in Proverbs chapter 3 in verse 5, right? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. That's all he asks. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own plans and your own understanding. But what? Just acknowledge him. Acknowledge him. Take off your sandals. Acknowledge that you are in the presence of the Holy One. Acknowledge him in all your ways. Every moment of every day, you just acknowledge that it's the Lord. It's the Lord who did it. It's the Lord who's doing it. It's the Lord who's going to do it. Acknowledge him in all your ways. He'll, he'll fight your battles. He'll make the way straight. That's what Jesus says, right? Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things, all these other things, we'll get those straight too. But you acknowledge me. Acknowledge me. That's all God requires of his people this morning, beloved, is a surrender to his sovereignty, a confession of his control. This is where the victory is this morning. This is where it is. This is where the comfort comes. This is where the strength lies. This is where the peace is secured. It's where it's found. It's not found in your plans. It's not found in your schemes. It's not found in your wisdom. You will not. You will not overcome the obstacles and the enemies in your own strength. I don't care 
how big your army is. I don't care how sophisticated your plans. You and I must look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. He's standing there, sword drawn, ready and willing to fight. You look to Jesus. Whatever the relational issue, you look to Jesus. Whatever the financial concern, you look to Jesus. Whatever the physical or emotional stress, you look to Jesus. Acknowledge him. Acknowledge that he is God. You ever ask yourself the question, you should, how did Jesus get victory over death and the grave? The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 12, beginning in verse 1, right? Reminds us that we should run the race that is set before us. And how do we run it? We run it looking to Jesus. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who, the Bible says, for the joy that was set before him. The joy that was set before him. How did Christ overcome the grave and the cross? He looked to the Father. He looked to the joy that the Father had promised him. He looked to the reward that the Father had promised him for acknowledging the Father in all his ways. He looked to the Father. And the Bible says, and now you and I have to look to Jesus. There he is, the supreme commander, standing in front of the obstacle that you are about to face. And he says, get your eyes off the obstacle. Here I am. You look to Jesus. How in the world, beloved, are you ever going to have victory in this world? How in the world are you ever going to be confident that you are more than a conqueror? Well, you have to get your eyes off the obstacles, get your eyes off yourself, and look to Christ. Behold him there, a risen Savior, promising you that nothing, nothing in all creation will be able to separate you from him. You look to Jesus and hear him say again, the battle is not yours. It's the Lord.